Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're about to hear a recording of a live radio program. It's called Indivisible. You can listen live and call in four nights a week on public radio stations around the country or at indivisibleradio.com. You can also join the conversation with hashtag indivisibleradio or leave us a voicemail at indivisibleradio.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Okay, here's the show. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Carrie Miller, and on Thursdays, I'm usually hosting Indivisible from the studios of Minnesota Public Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Tonight, I'm here at WNYC in New York. Really appreciate their warm welcome. If you've caught the show, you know that each Thursday, I'm taking a look at different facets of American identity, how who we are and the way we see ourselves is being influenced by our political polarization. Tonight, the modern spirit of resistance that is embedded so deeply in our DNA. And I'm not just talking about the resistance from the left or the Women's March or the demonstrations that have sprung up since President Trump was elected. Remember how Tea Partiers were shouting down members of Congress at town halls in 2009. Remember how they ended the careers of some senior Republican politicians back then? Two guests tonight to talk about what protest in its many different forms, including in art and music, means to our identity as Americans and what it really accomplishes. Do you think it makes fundamental change or is it enough that we put the people in power on notice? And I'd like to hear from you on that. If you were a Republican or Libertarian Tea Partier in the Obama days, do you think you made a difference that can still be felt today? Did you change the Republican Party? And if you're marching and resisting now, what do you really want to accomplish, particularly if you're working that activism into your writing or your music or you're just part of these movements to resist? So I want to hear from you on all elements, all angles of the political spectrum tonight. If you were a Tea Party or still are, and you were out there at those town halls and you were resisting President Obama then, but you were also putting the Republican Party on notice, I'd love to hear from you tonight, 844-745-8255. And if you're marching and resisting now, what do you really want to accomplish, especially if you're working that activism into your writing or your music? You can tweet me at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R, hashtag Indivisible Radio, and the phone again, 844-745-8255. Our guest tonight, Amy Allison, is co-director of Democracy in Color, and she's the host of a podcast by the same name. She's the author of She the People. And she's with us from San Francisco. And Amy, welcome. Good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Chastity Brown is a singer-songwriter who's touring this spring and summer around the release of her new album, Silhouette of Sirens. And she's in St. Paul, Minnesota tonight. And Chastity, welcome. Good to have you on the show. Thank you. Good evening. You know, Amy, I started thinking about where the Tea Party fit into this conversation because it has been noticed that people who are protesting President Trump's policies are using some of the same techniques that the Tea Party established at the beginning of the Obama presidency. And I wonder if you see some commonalities between then and now. Yeah, you know, I do. I think, uh, you know, just looking at protests in general, it has it's 
uh, from the very beginning of our country. It's helped to shape not only uh, social change, but also political change. And there's a direct line between a bunch of people gathered in a district meeting for a congressperson and uh, the ability of that congressperson to feel good when they go to their district, you know, advocating for a particular point of view in D.C. And uh, I see the effectiveness of people gathering in the district offices, similar to the Obama era is what they're doing now. And uh, there is an impact when protesters show up, let's say, in the last month when Congress members were in their home districts and demanding some answers on health care, uh, so much so that they didn't even you know, show up. But that became then the story. And uh, it does have an impact on how those politicians feel about uh how hard they push for particular laws and uh, practices and policies when they go back to D.C. So I, I do see the uh, the similarities in some, some of the uh, tactics. And I also know that larger scale protests that we've seen, and you mentioned the Women's March and uh, the Black Lives Matter protests and others, uh, they're a combination of, of a bunch of tactics, but those tactics go way back to the beginnings you know, of our country. Yeah. You know, Chastity, I wonder if you've noticed that even some of the language, the, the actual phrases that are being used today are reminiscent of what some of the you know, again, some of the GOP Tea Partiers who were saying to the Republican Party, you are not representing us, sounds like. I mean, I'm hearing, I want to take our country back. It's 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 interesting how yeah. it comes up today and it came up then. I am hearing that a lot, especially with the Democratic Party. I have my own issues with that. Um, I... I I would love to move to like a, a more mindset of just resetting and cutting off dead limbs that are not even alive rather than taking back. And that seems to be this constant language of this tug of war that we have with um, these opposing parties, quote unquote. Um, as an artist, obviously, I, I look at life a little differently, but I feel like part of the dialogue that I try to engage in with people is literally trying to reset instead of let's pull it back, let's push it over. You know, um, I feel, yeah, the language is redundant is is what I'm getting at. What what makes you uncomfortable about that, that language, Chastity? Well, um, it's, it's just a continuing rhetoric. And I, you know, I, I live here now in Minneapolis, but I grew up in the rural South and I, I was just home in Tennessee a few weeks ago um, and I find it really um, surprising the the great gaps of difference between the life that we live here in these urban settings versus these rural settings. And this type of language, it's it's it takes a great effort to recraft language and to make it something new. Um, but I think that would be really effective rather than constantly instigating this tug of war between um, educated or non-educated, black and white. Um, I don't know. I would just would love to hear something new. Amy, I'll come back to you on that, but I want to grab some calls here to Joe in Connecticut. Hi, Joe. How are you thinking about this? And tell me a little bit about your background, if you will. Um, okay. Uh, my name's Joe. Um, I've, uh, I've, well, my background politically, I mean, I've been a Republican, I've been a Democrat, 
Um, I've, I've been, you know, I'm part of the Green Party. I've lobbied for libertarianism. Um, <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, helped get some people on town council in Florida. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think what people fail to, fa- fail to realize a lot of the time is that um, we all are, are honestly trying to, to accomplish very similar goals, you know. Um, and um, actually, the, your screener actually, you know, asked me, like, you know, do, do I feel that my activism has at times created a polar opposite effect from what I had initially intended? Mm-hmm. And, and I have to answer yes to that. Um, I think people need to realize that projecting sometimes the most extreme opinions up into the highest offices in government um, could actually be destructive. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you see Citizens United created from people like Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan. I mean, Mitch McConnell, his lawsuit, McConnell versus the, the U.S. government or whatever, McConnell versus the Fed, is what created the Citizens United legislation that ultimately took power away from the people. Um, and he is very heavily supported by um, you know, the, the, the very far conservatives and, and the Tea Party. It, it, let me say this, Joe. I, I think what you said at the very beginning of the call was interesting, and I'm going to go to Amy on that. Joe said, Amy, there are somewhat similar methods and similar goals. I, I wonder if you agree with that. Uh, no. I, I think there can be commonality um, uh, with protesters, but uh, yeah, it I, I think about uh, some of uh, the protests come to mind when um, little girl Ruby Sales was desegregating schools in the 60s. There were crowds of protesters blocking, holding up signs, uh, trying to stop school segregation. And, uh, and they couldn't have been further from the people who were protesting for the right to go to uh, different schools, that separate wasn't equal. So though in that in that historical case, those protesters were fighting for uh, diametrically opposed visions um, of what the country is. I mean, I, part part of the reason I don't like that term, and I agree with Chastity, take our country back, is because protest can be reactionary, mm-hmm. back to the way it was at some point in the past, or it can be transformative, trying to bring about a country and a politics that doesn't exist now. And uh, everything from Veterans Day to the actual conception of a weekend, the labor movement's protest brought out, to reproductive rights, all those were tied to, uh, at one point, people having a transformative view of what uh, protests could bring about that didn't exist in the in the uh, culture and the politics at the time. It's a really good point, and and when you when you and Chastity, I want to bring you back in on this. When we talk about the historical part of the idea of protest, I really hear what Amy's saying, but when I hear Joe call and say. You know, you can find a common thread between what people were saying in 2009 and what people are saying today about wanting more ownership and more agency in their government. I, I think he's got a he's got a point there. W- what would you say? Well, I yes, there is a point, except economic activism is different from social activism, you know. Um, I found myself um, becoming an activist just because of my emotional response to the um, events, the public um, murders of black lives over the past couple years. And obviously, it's been longer than that. But um, so I think, yeah, maybe there are common things when you um, 
displace yourself from your emotional involvement and why you're um, being active in politics. But the social aspect of it, I think, is like what happens, what ends up being my argument when I am speaking to a, like, you know, conservative family members or people along the way as I'm on tour across the country. Um, I've had really heated discussions trying to um, once again instigate people um, to think more on that empathetic level, which some people refuse to uh, involve themselves in politics in that way. So, But yet they think that they're involved in that way. If, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. If you've just tuned in to Indivisible tonight, as you know, on Thursday nights, I talk about identity. And we thought it would be interesting to explore the idea of where uh, protest fits into the American identity. Obviously, a long history of it. But now, I mean, we saw this revived in 2008 and 2009. And now we're seeing uh, different different. Uh, desired outcomes, I guess I would say, but similar methods here in protests today. And I'm asking you to think about if you were part of those Tea Party protesters then or you are part of the resistance, the women's marchers, the resistance marchers today, I want to know what what your goals were. What what are you out to accomplish? What, what if change, what if your voice is heard, but change doesn't come the way you think it should? Think about that. 844-745-8255. Tweet me at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R-M-P-R. And it is hashtag Indivisible Radio. Amy Allison with us. She's co-director of Democracy in Color. And Chastity Brown is with us. She's a singer-songwriter, and she thinks and writes a lot about protest. And off of Twitter here, Danny says, uh, protest is necessary for change. The whole point is to make an issue so loud it becomes impossible to ignore. And to the phones, to Zez in Delaware. Hey, Zez. Hey, thanks so much for waiting. What, what are you thinking about here? Hi. Um, thanks so much for taking my call. I'm sure. thinking about uh, the question that you asked at the very beginning of the program of does protest work? Is it effective? And I kind of wanted to respond to that question by, by talking as someone who's been doing a lot of grassroots activism over the last couple of months and the last couple of years by saying that protest is a lot of different things with a lot of different goals. And to think of it as, as a single monolith is actually, I think, really risky uh, for folks involved because it, it sets a barrier for, for getting people invested in it. And I think that it's so much uh, more powerful and more, more effective to, to, instead of thinking of protest as, as a single form of thing with a single goal that can be achieved or not achieved, to think of a complex set of tactics um, and a whole lot of different campaigns coming out of a lot of different ways that the world can be envisioned and to ask questions coming from there. Wow, that that is so well said. Chastity, I want to come to you on this because as Zez was describing that, I was thinking, you know, you've talked about the personal being political and you've said just being a person of color, a queer woman of color for that matter, is freaking political. In some ways, it is a form of protest for you to be as open in your art and to make the art that you do. I, I think your Zez is tapping into something there. What do you think? Yeah, I I agree with him, and I appreciate him being so specific. Um, 
what I realized as I was out on tour these past couple years is. Um, as I became more rooted and grounded in my own identity, um, you know, I'm a 34-year-old biracial woman who just only in the past few years has even seen my face, not my face personally, but more women of color in the media. There's there's these certain um, things about my identity that haven't just that haven't existed, um, which is why I was curious about. The title of this particular show is um, um, having protests in our American DNA. I think there's two things there is what is it for me to identify as an American versus anyone that's listening to the radio program right now. Um, I I have my own identity that um, is is separate based off of um, my life experiences. And because of that... Um, I, I, yeah, I started to realize that the personal is political. And what I mean by that is I had actually abstained from um, public discourse or, you know, how people say don't talk about politics at the dinner table. Well, now it, in 2017, um, that I find that to be absolutely impossible. And I find that to be um, – uh, you're in a position of privilege if if you do not feel um, that it's necessary to talk about the state of America um, with the people that are close to you. Um, so that's what I mean. The personal is now political. If you're waiting on the phones, I really want to hear from you. Stay with us. I want to hear from you on Twitter at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R, and you can hashtag Indivisible Radio. Chastity Brown is with us. She's a singer-songwriter. And when we come back from a break, I want to hear, uh, Chastity, if you will, and, and we'll do this on the other side of this, um, start thinking about what you want to say about that song, Hey You, because... I read some of the things that you said in an interview, and it's very intriguing. So we'll talk about okay. that. Amy Allison is with us as well. She's co-director of Democracy in Color, and she's the host of a podcast by the same name, and she is the author of She the People. And our conversation, if you're just getting in on Indivisible tonight, is about the idea that protest is in our American DNA. And protest takes a lot of different forms in art in actually getting on the street and marching, in putting your members of Congress uh, on on notice. So we're talking about all those different forms of protest. And I want to hear from you tonight on this. 844-745-8255. Tweet me at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, NPR. Hashtag Indivisible Radio. Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. Come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo. 
Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Carrie Miller, and I'm usually hosting Indivisible from the studios of Minnesota Public Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Tonight, I'm at WNYC in New York, and Chastity Brown and Amy Allison are here with me to talk about the idea of protest being in the essence of our American uh, DNA, our American identity, and the different forms that that takes and what that means to who we see ourselves as Americans. Uh, so, Chastity, um, I-, I talked about that song it, was it called Hey You? Did I have the Did I have the title right? Yeah, okay. it's Hey You. It's it's only on. It's a video that I posted on my Facebook. Tell me page. a little bit. Yeah. Tell me a bit about writing that. Oh goodness. Um, well, you know, as as I said before, like I I didn't purposely become an activist. It just there was there became this necessity to respond and. Um, you know, I the song Stevie Wonders They Won't Go and I Go um is this was I by no means am I equating myself to Stevie Wonder. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying, but there's a slow even pace um to the message that he's delivering and I found myself strumming these chords and just wanting to get out my own version of a slow, soulful, even paced um stance on my self-love, first of all, which is why I protest, because I love myself and because I love my community. And that enables me to have the courage to stand up to, you know, regimes like uh, Trump's regime and um, violence against black bodies. Um, So that's why I wrote this song. Amy, I I think that's interesting. uh, The chastity says the reason I protest is because I love myself, too, mm. for a lot of reasons. But, I mean, did that catch you? What yeah, do you think I mean, when you hear that? I mean, I think uh, we have more tools uh, to be able to not only just express ourselves, but to uh, to levy protests in, the, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, and part of that is asserting that we are. I mean, in my research uh, for uh, She the People, um, I've noticed that um, women of color, you know, it's, the, the book is a call for women of color to um, who come out of movements to go into electoral politics. But I, you know, um, m- many of the protests now are um, being lettered or fueled um, by women of color who bring a kind of intersectional politics that say, you know, I am all of me. Another way of saying is I'm a whole person in order to recognize all the facets of who I am, a person of color, a woman, LGBT, uh, differently abled or any of that, you know, speaking a different language, you know, having papers or not having papers. All of those things make up who I am. And for you to recognize me and support me as a human being, it it uh, requires a kind of politics for our, our country, our, col- our, our uh, culture um, to support recognizing that. I mean, that's part of the, uh, I think, the power of uh, modern day protests, because 
uh, just like Chassie was saying, it takes the personal, which is all these identities we all have, mm-hmm. multiple identities, and says uh, we are demanding that uh, the change in the country we want to see recognizes all of that. Um, and it, I think that's an, an evolution. I think women of color have led that. Uh, that way of thinking, but I think all of us in the in the country benefit. Our democracy benefits when we uh, when we think of the power of of protest uh, being um, uh, rich and having that kind of you know vision for the for the country. I'm so glad you said that when you did, Amy, because I want to go to Marley now in Kansas City. Marley, you're a high school student, is that right? Hi, this Hi. is um, me. Um, so I just wanted to add that um, I'm a high school student uh, here in Kansas City, and as a high school student and not being over the age of 18, I really have no like agency to be able to vote yet. So um, for me, I, I use social media, and like your guest has said, that they post like their art and like her song on her Facebook. It's the ever growing. Um, social media that we have access to. And so for me, it's really important that I go out and I march and I participate in the day without women's and I participate in the day without immigrants, even though I'm not an immigrant or I have any people in my family directly. All of my friends, because I come from a very diverse background, um, they all are impacted by these things. And whether or not I am, I'm still a woman. And so I still have some uh, problems that I have to conquer and I have to overcome. But like for me, uh, Activism in of itself is, like, as you stated before, through um, our history. And so when we're told to stop, I just am confused because, like your guest said, the I love myself to the point of being active in out in the world. And that's why I do my activism through debate and uh, other ways like that. Okay, so Marley, here's what I want to know. I, I mean, let's say you're you're protesting or you're being active in a cause and you're not seeing immediate change. I mean, how does that feel? That happens to a lot of people who feel pretty strongly about a cause. Then yeah. what happens? That that actually has happened to me before. Uh, like I said, I'm in debate. Um, I ran critical debate, which basically means we we critique specific things that are problematic within the system. So, like this year, we talked about feminism and how like the debate space was not open for non-masculine performers uh-huh. and how they're constantly demonized by like them being non-masculine. And we went to a tournament and we completely lost every single round because nobody was prepared for that kind of debate. (laughs) And it was completely devastating, right? Uh But that didn't mean that I stopped because I still have to go out and do things. So while it's still like you may have lost the, like, battle, like, I'm still trying to fight the war so that I can win the war so that we're all equal and that we're all happy and, like, content in the world that we live in, which is not done yet. So, like, for me, I don't see immediately out, like, immediate outcomes, but, like, having conversations that are difficult with people so that people can learn and so people can educate and so people can empathize with our, like, actual themes and our stories is really important to me so that we all can, like, learn from each other so that we can all be a better people. Marley, yeah. what year of high school are you in? I am a senior, so I'm uh, almost done with them. But Feeling like the world's going to be a better place. <laughs> yeah. I was listening, uh, listening to Marley. Wow. Yeah, Amy, yeah. I was going to say, listening to Marley, you give me hope. Uh, I know. This generation yes. has yeah. more nuance. I mean, even I was in speech and debate and forensics in high school, but we never even touched that level of nuance. And so I have uh, so much uh, faith uh, that... Uh, this generation coming up looks at protests as form just a, a essential form of participating in a democracy. It's it's speaking out. There's there's voting, and then there's all the other ways uh, to uh, be part of the society. And anyway, that gives me that gives me a lot of hope. Uh, call here from Fred, listening in Long Island. Hey, Fred. Hi. Thanks so much for waiting. 
Oh no, it's not a problem. I love I love listening to you guys. Um, I think the I, I I think that protest is I agree with you guys. Protest is an essential part of the American fabric. The thing that worries me now is that I see that protest seems to be a tool of manipulation as well. Where I think the biggest challenge that I find in protesting is being able to deliver your message in a way that that can't be spun in a way that it's not intended. So for what, I, what I'll give you an example. I found that right around the election, uh, right around the election time, it seemed that on the Trump side there was this this push for the silent majority. Mm-hmm. And so there was almost this feeling of, 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 of we want our country back, that sort of thing. And so when there were police shootings of unarmed black men and there was legitimate, absolutely legitimate rage and, and just like if you saw somebody just unarmed, just gunned down in the street, you know, there was a reason for people in Black Lives Matter to come about. But when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, it seemed that the right used it as a tool to get, you know, white people in the stands at NBA games all singing the national anthem. Hmm. And it almost was like a, a tool to mobilize them to go out to the polls. Same thing with the Black Lives Matter about all the police shootings. There was constant coverage of a police, another police shooting, another police shooting. So, and so after the election, yeah. So, how, I, many, how, how many stories have you seen since? What, what's your essential point here, Fred? That the media really drives this. I, at, I think the, yeah. the, chal- the challenge for for when you're protesting is to is to how do I get how do we get our message out to the 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 nectar of what we're actually trying to get out so that it's not twisted into into something else where okay. the result isn't we're mm-hmm. actually mobilizing trump people to go to the polls we're mobilizing white feet, white people to go to the polls meanwhile there are a lot of black people who looked at what's going on and saying oh my god there's nothing we can do and maybe we don't go to the polls so it was almost like the intention was in the in the media coverage was to embolden People who wanted their country back to say, no, 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 these protesters, no, 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 let's go out to the polls. Okay, so so Fred, hang with me here for a second, because I'll, I'll put that to Chastity. What are you hearing there, Chastity? Um, I, I disagree in that um, the whole point of, or one of the things with Black Lives Matter that I feel like is beautiful um is that it's it's decentralized. So there isn't one person dictating um, the level of people's response and engagement. Um, that is imperative. Furthermore, we know with media, no matter what you're, you can be as clear and concise as possible, and no matter what, that can be misconstrued. So um, I think that that can waste... Um, the, also within that, there there are strategies that um, different organizers and activists um, do implement. But I think uh, just the um, you know the particular football player who took a knee that was once again his in the facet of your life. How can you respond to? Um, politically to um, what matters to you. That's how he responded politically to what matters to him. So to go and have his public relations people try to um, artfully craft that in a way that wouldn't be misconstrued, I think is um, is pointless and it doesn't take advantage of the opportunity of him acting in the moment. Um, I, I don't think that you can help um, 
when things are misconstrued by the media. I think that consistency, however, mm. um, can debunk their um, you know more conservative uh, views and the way people spin things. Um, I think there is a lot more. Um, it's I'm, I'm trying to say this all <laughs> in as short as time frame as possible. I think that there's a lot more going on with that agenda and that a mindset of taking Amer- America back um, systematically. That's where the conversation of white privilege has sprung up even more um, in conversations. Um, it's a very deep issue. It's not a very surface level of just Black Lives Matter. That might have been the precipice or the last thorn in the side. Um, but I don't think that that um, is, is, is what their agenda is in that phrase of taking America back. Ian says, um, and and I think he's uh, speaking to Marley here, our high school student from Kansas City, the world we live in is not done yet, as Marley Mm -hmm. said. And Ian says, I hope that woman runs for office. And oh, here, here, here. <laughs> yeah. And on Twitter, uh, this election woke the sleeping giants across the country and even the world, as proven in the Netherlands, where they just had an election and the far right candidate did not win. Uh, our tweeter ads, people are awake. And to the phones here to Samantha in North Carolina. Hey, Samantha. Hi. Hey. Can you hear me? <laughs> uh, we can. Yeah. It sounds like you've you've done some marching recently. Is that right? Yes, I was um, at the Women's March, and I participated in Black Lives Matter protests, and um, I'm a college student, and I, like, have a, I'm a co-officer for a club called SAGE, which is Students Advocating for Gender Equality, and so, like, I do a lot of activism with that, and a lot of activism. I'm also involved with the Women's Center at my, I go to NC State, (laughs) Um, and so, like, for me, yeah, it's just, like, even if I don't get to see what I really want happen, right. like, with the administration, for me, it's really important that we constantly resist for the next four years, and we don't let um, this be a normal thing. Like, we don't give up, <laughs> and we are here for each other um, and caring the whole way and are ready when the four years are up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, Amy. Um, to take what Samantha said, I, I know you you've been involved in a number of protests, including weren't you an army medic and you were you were involved yeah, in the Camp Casey protests? Yeah, I w- yeah, yeah. I was remembering uh, Camp Casey in two thousand five. You know, people don't remember when uh, uh, George W. Bush was president. Uh, the Iraq War was. <laughs> they don't remember uh, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people. If everyone's remembering, <laughs> there were a lot of protests, and uh, I was part of a Veterans for Peace group that went down to Camp Casey um, when the president was on vacation. And um, a couple did- callers back were like, you know, sometimes sometimes a message can get muddled. But the message was, uh, was when Cindy Sheehan, she was a military mom, she was a gold star mom who'd lost her son. Uh, but there were uh, probably 50, uh, mil- you know, family members of military that had been uh, killed or disabled that were down there making a statement about the war. And... Um, it's very powerful. Um, we've never had a president make, you know, right now, like like we have right now, that would make fun of a Gold Star family or try to denigrate them. But this is very powerful. And I think in that protest, that was a very direct message against the, the current war. 
And um, I was thinking about a story uh, that I heard at uh, from actually another protest. It's a School of the Americas protest. It's a place in Georgia at Fort Benning. Right. And every year, uh, thousands of people go to protest uh, the training of the use of torture and things like that. It's trained down there. And there was a guy who was standing with a sign right in front of the Fort Benning fence. And someone walked up to him and said, look, why are you holding that sign? You think you're going to change the military? You're going to change the school? What are, you, what are you doing? And he said, oh, um, I don't know if I can change them, but I don't want them to change me. And what uh, Samantha just said about holding a, uh, a moral vision, holding not, – it's not just a strategic thing or going against the man. It is holding a moral vision that I find um, some of the protests are doing right now. Um, and it matters because then um, then we say this is what we stand for as human beings. Um, and maybe that's the commonality. There are certain things that our country should be about. And uh, a lot of the protesters are articulating, you know, love and justice and community and respect. And these are fundamentals um, in a civic society and in a decent society uh, that I find um, my heart and love expressed in that powerful and lasting um, so anyway, I appreciate what, what she had to say, because I think that's the potential, the transformative potential of, of protests that we see now. Okay, this is good, because it, because I want to ask our listeners here, if, 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 if your protests do not result in the change that you're protesting for, that you want, again, whether it's in art, whether it's in music, whether you're out on the street, whatever your form of protest takes, if you don't see that change... What's the protest for? I, I want you to think about that and talk to us about it. 844-745-8255. And you can reach me on Twitter. It's at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R, as in Minnesota, hashtag Indivisible Radio. And now we have Chastity Brown's Hey You. So let's listen to it. Saying something I was long holding back What looking for We could have done this years ago Pain will take another picture Another time Another stitch Another round of six We keep rolling in Hey yo Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. This is Indivisible. The number to call is 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. I'm Carrie Miller, and on Thursdays I talk about um, identity 
and how who we are and what we are and the polarization that we're in the midst of is affecting the way we see ourselves as Americans. Tonight, it's the idea of protest and demonstration, so essential to kind of that DNA of who we are as Americans and all the different forms it takes. And Amy Allison is with us from uh, co-director of Democracy in Color. And Chastity Brown is with us, a singer-songwriter who writes about protest and thinks a lot about these issues. And we've gotten to a place in this conversation where I want to hear from you on whether if you don't see the change that whatever kind of protest you're making, whether it's an individual kind of thing, whether it's something in art, whether it's being out there marching, if you don't see that change, what's that for? And I want to go to the phones here to Luke in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Hi, Luke. Hey, how's it going? Going well. What are you thinking about this? So I think um, something that's interesting is that a lot of times um, the way the political situation is, is that, you know, it's an it's a it's an action when I vote for somebody else, they're going to represent me. And a lot of times, you know, people go on about their lives. They're busy. They don't have time to get involved with what the specific issues are. But then sometimes things come up and they're, um, you know, they get enough emotion going. There, there's enough, there's enough uh, uh, things that people, people are care about certain issues that they're going to be more involved with their uh, government than they would another, otherwise be if everything was just going normally. Uh-huh. So I think that's kind of one of the one of the ways that process stems from. Yeah. H- have you been involved in in some kind of, you know, whether it's like an individual protest or you've joined demonstrations, Luke? Um, so I haven't necessarily done demonstrations and stuff, but I've been a little bit uh, politically involved. I'm on the Republican side of things. Mm-hmm. And um, I've definitely uh, kind of seen the Tea Party movement kind of grow from the right after Obama was elected um, and, and kind of moving forward. And I think uh, kind of um, Trump is the result of uh, the Tea Party movement, and the, the the movement kind of started with with Republicans saying we aren't represented by Republic the Republican Party, right. and we want to make sure that our values are being represented. And so there was this protest um, of Republicans and Democrats alike. And I guess uh, a lot of times people kind of, or at least recently, people have been comparing some of these protests to the Tea Party. And I guess my question is, what, what the, the difference between those two protests is that I think um, the, the, the protesters aren't, aren't dissatisfied enough with their own party for there to be actual change, if that makes sense. Yeah. D- Amy, does that make sense to you? Uh, change happens over time. Right. Um, I was thinking about uh, the, the Tea Party protests. And of course, uh, we had, uh, you know, some of it popped up organically. Um, and, and protests are always speaking truth to power. Um, but to translate that, that into electoral uh, power, there were like the Koch brothers money behind organizing Tea Party into electoral uh, strength. And that's not uh, something that current uh, protesters uh, have in their back pocket. But um, I do think that um, politics are born out of protests, and uh, not all protests can get to uh, can get to power. That that's uh, true, and it does take time. I think about um, the developments in our society, in our culture, in our politics. Some of it takes generations, mm. um, but dissatisfaction is an in, in, an engine of change, um, and uh, even 
even when, let's say, the, the people, you know, the Democrats are out of power in the presidency and the Congress and 37 state houses, having a very active opposition movement or what some people call a resistance will over time have an impact because even when the Democrats controlled uh, Congress and the presidency during Obama's first term, uh, those kind of that kind of activism was able to uh, create a question in the mind of public, the public, uh, force uh, people from both parties to really consider going forward. It was able right. to change what, let's say, healthcare legislation ended up looking like. Um, and I believe uh, the protests now uh, are going to have a, a, a similar effect, not just holding, like I was saying, like a moral center, but also being able to actually uh, shape uh some of the policies that, that go forward or hold a, a, a vision here in California, um, what can't be done at the federal level is being implemented at the state level, like the state is uh, now passing hurdles to create a sanctuary state legis- set of legislation to protect non-documented. Now, that's not going to happen in D.C., but it's happening in the state. And I think those uh, those kind of protests uh, embolden people who uh, even at the different levels, even down ballot, uh, to be able to push forth uh, um, an agenda and that's what happened in Texas. Texas was the Cal- Texas as a state played the role that California is now playing um, during the Trump administration. So we're seeing a, a connection between these uh, protests and the actual politics and policies that are passed. Fanica says on Twitter, um, I don't imagine he will listen or change. I think she means the president. But she says protest is about keeping historical record and of responses to it in the moment. End of the phones to Andre in North Carolina. Hey, Andre, hi. How's it going? Going so well. Glad my, you're at the show. My point yeah. is this. Um, thank you very much for having me on. So I want to make sure to say this. I think that in the society that we live in today, we li- definitely live in an information age. So what what's happening is this. There's you will find a protester for just about any topic at any given time, and a good amount of them, a group of them. So what's going on is this. It is very easy to dismiss a protest because there's always somebody protesting. So, for example, free the prisoners, save the whales, any any various thing. And these are important things. I'm not dismissing no, the fact is, that they're yeah. protesting something that's important, but there's always somebody protesting. So it's easy for somebody to say, they're just a protester, they're a hippie, they believe in one thing and you're labeled as something, therefore I can ignore it and move on. I, I, think and I don't necessarily is, need to respond to it. The, 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 Andre, this is a great point, and Chastity, to you, I mean, he's actually kind of talking about protest fatigue, the diminishing of the power of it, because so many people are taking up so many different causes. What, what do you think? Yeah, um, one thing I try to... When I talk about political issues at my shows, I leave a moment for the audience to be uncomfortable. And I allow people, uh, hopefully, a safe space to sit in discomfort. Um, What I would say to that about protest is that um, the majority of my protest, again, is in one-on-one conversations. And I see protest um, not entirely as this massive public engagement. It's these, um, in my opinion, I just feel that it's important for me to have very personal um, conversations that are not entirely on um, social media. Um, I feel like social media is such a great tool and then it can be 
as you said, um, or as he was saying, um, you can just, you know, your Twitter feed is inundated with um, all these different, very relevant issues. Um, but again, um, I feel that there's there's a tremendous amount of power in shifting. And I I love Amy what you've been saying the the phrase transformative. Um, I find the most transformative moments happen in a one-on-one conversation. Um, so, yeah, again, um, not all these protests have gained mass um, and global um, viewers as, as some of these, as, as we've seen um, with the protest um, for the pipeline, the no, um, no Dapple and Black Lives Matter and the Women's March, clearly those were not just overlooked. Um, those were very global responses. So, But Chastity, um, the, the pipeline yeah. is an excellent example of this because there was a lot of, and I'm not saying it was ineffective. I don't think it was ineffective, but it did not, it did not accomplish what the initial goal I, I think there's other things that it accomplished, but it didn't accomplish that core goal of stopping the pipeline because they're back to construction on it. What, what do we do with that? Mm. Well, I yeah. yeah. Um, the the one thing that I will say is that um, change does take time, and once again, um, the pipeline is a deeper more systematic issue of what America has done to the Native American community. Um, And I think the success of it was, um, once again, going back to the topic of discussion, is protest in our American DNA. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think it's in your American DNA if you can't, in some sort of way, tie yourself empathetically to someone else's experience. Like the college student was saying a couple phone calls ago, she didn't seem to be directly um, like in her own personal family line, um, you know, uh, experiencing any of these disparities, but yet she empathetically got involved. Um, And I feel like that is one huge thing that happened um, with the pipeline protest. And I can't say any further. I don't have any like definitive authority on that. That was just my view. Yeah, Amy, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, we have to understand that uh, protests aren't about immediacy, but in our culture, there's so much instant gratification that it's hard to remember how long some change has taken deep cultural change, deep democracy, expanding who could vote, expanding who has rights, all those things emerged out of protests, sometimes over 100 years. So understanding it in that context, it mattered that people uh, protested the, the, the pipeline. It mattered that a whole new generation of people had awareness, like Chastity was saying. There another caller. I don't. I don't know if it was you, um, Carrie. The caller was talking about protest fatigue, and mm. we've seen that where we, we, you know, turn on the six o'clock news, and there's a protest about and um, something that's happened or an issue, and some people shake their heads and say it'll never change. But uh, the thing is, uh, in a in a in a lively, active democracy, and by the way, the, Utah, the U.S. the protest movements in the U.S. aren't even as robust as somewhere like South Korea, where a million people just ousted the president. I mean, regular people just came out and said. Okay, no. 
Um, so, but it is in a, in a democracy, in a vibrant, civic, civically engaged culture. There are a lot of protests. It's part of how things shape and evolve. And the other alternative is when protest is squelched. So the the presence of protest actually means that we're more healthy. Um, a totalitarian government wouldn't permit protest. And as an alternative, I don't, you know, I think that's a, a terrible alternative. So we got to have some institutional memory about how important protests are uh, just in, in maintaining our democracy and growing our democracy and our form of government. Mike says on Twitter here, I was living in Wisconsin during 2011 Walker protests and recall. One thing it accomplished, near total polarization, middle ground gone. And to the phones here to Megan in Chicago. Megan, thanks so much for waiting. I know it's been a while. I'm glad you waited. Good to hear what you have to say here. Oh, well, thank you. I'm just so honored and so thrilled. Thank you so much for having me. Um, just piggybacking on what, what's been talked about here, I, um, I'm, first of all, I'm a Chicago public school teacher, uh-huh. so I know what it means to protest and to fight for rights and to keep on going out into the streets over and over again. But I was struck um, when you asked your question, I was struck by what I was teaching this week, and that is um, what was actually mentioned here, the amount of time almost 100 years that it took for women going into the streets to get us the right to vote and thinking about the women who started that 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 protest and started those marches and they did not see it they didn't see it happen but yet they knew they knew that their their daughters or their granddaughters would see it and just the stamina and this I guess the need to put immediate gratification aside and say, we need to keep going. This will eventually um, um, create the change that we're hoping that it will will create. All right. Mm. Glad you heard the show. Thank you. Uh, Emily says on Twitter, protest is a way to send a message to vulnerable communities. I am here and I will stand up for you, nicely Mm. said. And to Dennis Mm -hmm. in Atlanta. Hi, Dennis. How are you thinking about this tonight? Uh, hey, how are you doing? I was just um, on my way home, and uh, I'm listening to it, and um, I don't think that protest is at the at the heart of uh, American uh, society and at the fabric of this, not, well, not America as we know now, because we've kind of been changed. It's it's changed into a, uh, a very personal me, 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 I, I, I place to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like people get in and they get what they want and they get out as opposed to having a goal and a structure. You know, like it's like if you have a diet plan, a meal plan, and it's to get you a certain goal, you're going to do everything you can. And then once you get to the end goal, then you can give it up. Right. Uh, Or you can make little changes and compromise just little, little, little compromises as you get to the big goal. Uh-huh. Um, here, we kind of, uh, it's like soon as we reach a piece, uh, a slight victory, we fall back mm-hmm. and we let go and people forget about it. And like you say with the, um, the fatigue thing, um, it's, I don't think it's fatigue as much as it's just, I just think it's a lack of interest. Yeah. You know, we have micro attention spans. So that's that's my take on it. Um, I don't know. That's that's just how I feel about it. 
uh, I could take the if you look at the Keystone thing. What is it? What is it? It, it was a big thing, and then now it's nothing. You know, so they're they're moving right on through. They they've overstepped it. They've gone about around it, and uh, I think that we're ultimately we are protesting the wrong things, and we're missing the big picture. Uh, whereas everyone is a is a million and one different arguments. I think it's the it's corporate America. It's a big it's a big. I, I, uh, elephant in the room that yeah, we're Dennis, I, I hear that. I, I want you to hear, Amy, this kind of goes back to what you were saying about holding the moral center. Uh, and, yeah. and maybe Dennis didn't hear that. Maybe you, you'd <coughs> talk about that. Yeah, I mean, um, there it didn't, it's not nothing. I mean, media, if you watch cable news, it makes you forget things happen because it's not in that particular news cycle. But I was just on a Democracy Color podcast interviewing um, Wendy Carrillo, who's running out of uh, – in Southern California out of the L.A. district she's running for Congress. And she went to those protests and was transformed. uh, She had, for the first time in her life, been um, in in an opportunity to be with uh, for a couple of weeks the Native Americans to understand the issue of water. And she's a woman in her 30s. Um, and this continues to be her solidarity with Native communities and um, environmental issues now is heightened. And if she gets into Congress, she's going to take that with her. So it's not nothing. Um, and I do think uh, that uh, you can look on the on the news cycle. It looks like people win or they lose. But it's never like that. Um, that instead of thinking of that, that, think of protests as not only just a way people demand attention, but a way people express hope and uh, a vision that they hold the center, even if, even in the face of some pretty terrible things happening. And I think uh, that will have to continue to be part of our society, um, not in a way that uh, breaks us down, but a way that builds us up, that allows us in a democracy to see different points of view and to express ourselves and be active. And I think that's the way that we move forward. Amy, such a pleasure to have you on from San Francisco. Thank you very much. Thank you. Chastity, really a pleasure to talk to you from St. Paul. Thank you. Thanks, Carrie. Here's a little Chuck D. If you like the Indivisible podcast, rate and review it and tell your friends. And thanks for listening.